I had just finished preparing the uh, altar table here for a communion service that we were having for Visions of Hope this past Tuesday, when I noticed that someone was standing off to the side, just right to my, uh, off to my right shoulder, watching what I was doing. As I turned around, I didn't recognize the man at first. Uh, after he introduced himself, I recalled that he was to visit me after uh, chapel and to talk to me about some community hours that he needed, uh, needed to schedule some work to do. And as we visited later, what I learned was that what he needed the most was not community hours, but he needed someone to listen to him. So I listened as he told me what brought him to the Highland Center on that particular day. Uh, and as he continued to talk, he shared this story uh, about, and he's about 55 years old, somewhere in there, still young, right? <laughs> Lots of amens on that one. <laughs> but as he shared about this, he talked about his life in prison and uh, spending most of his life in prison. And he told me of his innocence. And as I heard this story, I, I just was taken in by this, of, of being falsely accused and being misidentified in a lineup. And, and I've heard that sort of thing before. But as he was sharing it with me, I, I believed what he was saying. And he spoke of his hell-like existence of living in prison and of the fleeting taste of freedom only to be lost by a clerical mistake with the parole board. As soon as he gets out within months, he is uh, required to go back in. And as he went back in, he found that he was getting more and more bitter and angry and unforgiving. All of this up to this point weighed heavy on my ears, but it was what he said next that truly tugged on my heart as he talked about his relationship with his father. And as he shared this story, he talked about how there was great distance between he and his dad, that he had drifted away uh, in about the fifth grade. He and his father had some misunderstanding or, or what he thought at the time was just a, a rift in the relationship. He felt the injury and the pain that his father had caused him. And he wanted nothing else to do with him. And as he shared this story about his father, I again just wondered about the truth of it all. He continued to share, talked about the things that he learned, and the uh, continued disdain that he had for his father. And in recent years, just before his father died, his father went to the prison once again to try to visit him and to, to speak with him about their relationship and maybe just out of the sense that his father was getting older and it was time to go ahead and talk to him, he met with him. And his father shared with him the story of what happened so long ago. And the son found that this was all a misunderstanding. When he finally listened to his father and heard what his father had to say, and as he looked at all the attempts that his father had made to reconcile this relationship with him, his heart broke as he realized he had been wrong about his father all along. And he thought about the waste of life, not only in prison, but the waste of a relationship that he had with his father. And he was finally able to forgive him. As he spoke of his life wasted in prison 
for a crime that he didn't commit and with an injury that he couldn't forgive. I was reminded of the destruction that is caused by unforgiveness. Of how we all struggle with forgiveness. In fact, it comes up in almost every pastoral care conversation that I have. We find it difficult to forgive not only other people, but difficult to forgive ourselves, don't we? Sometimes it's even harder to forgive ourselves. And this issue of forgiveness and the struggle that comes along with it comes at a great cost to us and to our relationships. And as we think about what it means to struggle, we can think of all different kinds of relationships that we've had in the past, those that have been good and those that have been difficult for us. And maybe we think about the text that we've heard here this morning, because our texts are all about forgiveness, beginning with the memorable story of Joseph. If you really want to look at a difficult situation, one of those soap operas that we find in Scripture, then you can look in the Old Testament and find the story of Joseph. And we know, of course, the the famous part about him uh, being thrown into a pit and his coat of many colors and how his brothers treated him. And that's really what we emphasize the most. But at the end of that story, there is this uh, element of forgiveness it really just blows us away when we think about what Joseph was willing to do. Here was another guy who had been not only thrown in a pit, but thrown into slavery and thrown into prison, falsely accused. And yet he was able to overcome all of that bitterness and anger and unforgiveness to get to a point in his life where he could forgive, where he could understand what it meant for him to be forgiven. And we also hear about it in Jesus' story about the servants and his parable about forgiveness. This pairing of these two texts in the lectionary is a perfect kind of pairing this week. While these scriptures are but a few of the places in the Bible that address forgiveness and relationships, they are really enough for us. I mean, if you're struggling with forgiveness or if you just have questions about forgiveness, these are really enough for you to be able to take and to learn and to understand because they inform us on why it is essential for us to forgive and not only that it is essential but how it is that we are to do it and I think that's where we struggle more than anything else we, we probably all know that God wants us to forgive but how in the world do you do it and some people say you don't know what I've been through There's just no way I can forgive. The gospel text helps us with that. Even more, the text has enough content to answer several of the most frequently answered questions that we have about forgiveness. They are ones in the heart and the mouth of Peter. Peter is the one asking this question today. And we kind of laugh at Peter because he's always asking a crazy question or saying something that's pretty outrageous. But I think that they are questions in our hearts and in our mouths as well. The first question is, are there limits to how many times I should forgive someone? Have you ever asked that question? 
I mean, Peter wasn't the first person to ask this question. And he certainly wasn't the first one to ask God this kind of question. Okay, I understand forgiveness. But, I mean, surely there are some limits to this. This is what Peter was asking when Jesus said, uh, or he asked Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? I think it's interesting, the phrasing here about uh, another person in the church or a brother or sister in the church. It reminds us that there are difficulties in relationships in churches, right? Whether it's a synagogue or a church or a mosque or wherever a person happens to be in a, a faith organization, there is always that same human tension and that potential for injury and pain that brings about the need for forgiveness. He says, as many as seven times, Jesus, seven being a perfect number and also enough of a number to where Jesus could have a little room in there. Peter was approaching forgiveness from a legalistic angle, actually wondering how many times he had to forgive a brother before getting to cut him off or to avenge him for whatever sin he might have caused. So he gives Jesus a number much beyond what would be expected, thinking it was much more generous than Jesus would have expected. Jesus, however, he couldn't find any room in that number. For Jesus, there was no wiggle room at all in the number seven. Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times, which is a ridiculously high number. In other words, he's saying to Peter, Peter, there is no number, there is no limit on how many times you are to forgive someone else. The point for Peter was that forgiveness is not about law. There is no legalistic way and, and no set rule where you can go and say, well, I only have to do it three times or seven times. It's not about the law. It's not about mathematics. And Peter, it's not about vengeance. Peter was prone to strike out. And we see him doing this as they get closer to the cross, even striking to take someone's ear off. No, it was about relationship. As M.T. Wright states in his commentary on Matthew, if you're still counting how many times you've forgiven someone, you're not really forgiving them at all, but simply postponing revenge. I've seen this in marital counseling before. Well, I've already forgiven him three times. That's enough. I don't have to do any more. Or I gave her four chances. That's it. I'm out of here. We approach it in the same way. But Jesus wanted Peter to know that there are no limits to forgiveness. And that's a hard teaching to accept, isn't it? Once again, Jesus takes all of the fun out of bitterness, out of anger and rage and violence. Jesus takes all the fun out of hatred. Once again, Jesus leads us to a higher road, one that is a heavenly walk that transcends our worldly solutions and our worldly instincts. It is a walk that takes literally everything out of us, that softens the hardness of our heads and puts an enormous strain on our hearts. It's not easy. Jesus knows that where it all leads the destination of reconciliation, that it's all worth it. 
And he wants Peter and the other disciples to know it as well. I wonder today, do we know it? Or do we only know the bitterness of the lower road? The one that leads us to a place of separation and unforgiveness. It is so much easier to take the lower road. Perhaps you're done with forgiving someone. I mean, you have a long list of what this person has done to you and of how many times you have forgiven them. Maybe it was your spouse. Maybe it was your ex, your child, your parent, or your best friend. It is usually someone who is closest to you, right? It's the person who is closest to you who ends up hurting you the most, right? Does that identify with anybody? Anybody identify with that? And that's usually why it is so hard to forgive them. But now you've said no more. That's the last time you'll put up with this from them. And doing so, we think this meets the criteria for insanity. It shows no sense of justice, no self-esteem. I mean, how can you have any self-respect and self-esteem if you forgive someone after they've done something to you over and over again? It makes you look weak and irresponsible. Putting a number on how many times you forgive someone only seems right. It's the rational approach. Except for God. Except for you when you need someone to forgive you again. Well, the second frequently asked question is much like the first in that it is about limits. And it is this question. Are there limits to what I am to forgive? Not how many times, but aren't there some limits on what I am to forgive? Our thinking is that we understand what Jesus is saying about forgiving an unlimited number of times, but that there must be some things that are so terrible that we aren't required or expected to forgive. Everyone goes to Hitler on this particular one, right? I mean, that's the extreme. Well, Hitler can't be forgiven for what Hitler did. And I'm right there with you. I'm wondering how God could forgive Hitler. But I don't like to think about how God could or could not forgive me. But there must be some terrible things that God just cannot tolerate. We see a loophole and we take it, soon justifying our lack of forgiveness in this way. And this isn't what Peter was specifically asking, but it certainly is what Jesus addresses in his parable here about the servants. Look again at the text. The first servant in Jesus' parable has no small amount of debt. And I love this story because Jesus is using these extremes in language. He's talking about this servant who is trying to pay off a debt, but there is absolutely no way that he could ever pay off this debt. He owes 10,000 talents, more debt than he could ever begin to pay back, like millions or some say even trillions of dollars today. When the Lord ordered him to pay the debt, the man fell on his knees and he begged for forgiveness. The Lord took mercy on him and he forgave the debt. 
And surely, here, Jesus is thinking of how His heavenly Father is merciful. As He is spinning this story and telling all of the details of this story, He is imagining the Father that He knows, who is merciful and compassionate, and yet also a God of justice. But He understands what He does with the enormous debt of sin. What he is wanting Peter to see is that with forgiveness, there is no limit to what can be forgiven. Is this a question that you ask God or yourself at times? I mean, are there some things that are so terrible and heinous that God just won't forgive? What's on your list today? What kinds of things register on your list? It's funny hearing different people talk about different sins and, well, you know, God could never forgive that. Or I know where that person's going. We say these things with an understanding or that we have understanding of them. I run into this again in the conversations that I have in pastoral care as I hear people who have decided that God's forgiveness is limited. And they'll tell me that about themselves. God can't forgive me for what I have done. That there is such a thing as amazing grace but it doesn't apply to a wretch like them. These who believe in limited forgiveness are actually the ones who are limiting God in forgiveness. They're limiting themselves from receiving the forgiveness that God has for them. And I'm pretty sure that each of us has been one of these people at some point, doing something that we never thought God would ever forgive confessing that same sin over and over again. How many of you have ever done that? You don't think God heard you, or do you need to say it maybe in a more respectful way, or if you say it ten different times, then God will finally get the point how sorry you are for your sin. Martin Luther did this. He would sit in his cell and beat himself over and over again in repentance so that God might love him enough to forgive him of his sin. That is, until he discovered the wonder of faith and that he was justified by faith, not by how many times he could beat himself up over his sin. Now, you may not be taking a whip and beating yourself in the privacy of your home after you sin against God. But I would imagine... If you're like me, you have had times when you beat yourself up in many other ways. This morning, you might be rather raw from the beatings that you have given yourself when God has long since forgiven you. And you tell God of your sin, and God says, What sin? I have removed your sin from as as far as the east is from the west. When you confessed your sin to me, I forgave you. And that was the end of it. So why don't you forgive yourself? We not only can err in thinking that there are things that we can do that God can't forgive, but we can have this view about other people, about what they do to us. Are there things people can, uh, that people can do to you that go beyond the limits of expectations for forgiveness? Is there some injury or pain that you're holding on today that you have deemed beyond your limit to forgive? I'll bet so. I'll bet there is something on your list. 
Well, the third most frequently asked question about forgiveness relates to the two that we've already considered here this morning. And it is, will God really not forgive me if I don't forgive someone? It is in response to how Jesus ended His parable. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. There is the hook that Jesus puts out at the end of His parable. I mean, these guys are hearing the story and they're all interested in it and they're thinking about the the servants and, and this wicked, unmerciful servant who is forgiven his debt and he goes right outside and he grabs somebody by the throat and says, you better pay me back for what you owe me. He has no understanding and, and no true experience of forgiveness in his own life other than taking it for granted. While we don't have a record of the chatter that must have gone on after Jesus said this, we can just imagine that this third question was among it. Perhaps they were thinking and saying what we do after hearing this. Well, you said that there are no limits on forgiveness, but here Jesus is saying this is how God will treat us if we don't forgive other people. So isn't there a condition that God has put on forgiveness? The commentary on this from N.T. Wright, again, is helpful here. And about this statement from Jesus, he says, Forgiveness is more like air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful when you've just breathed out the previous one. If you insist on withholding it, refusing to give someone the kiss of life that they desperately need, you won't be able to take in any more for yourself. And you will suffocate very quickly. You will suffocate very quickly. Now that gets at the point of what really happens to us when we don't forgive, does it not? When we don't forgive other people, I mean the ones that we would like to suffocate, we are actually the ones who are losing our lives. Who suffers the most when you don't forgive? Your offender has moved on, has gone somewhere else, and is not even thinking about you any longer. And yet you continue to think of that person and that injury every day when you don't forgive. You nurse the bitterness and the anger and the hatred inside of you, and it's not hurting them at all. It is killing you. And yes, you can actually die from this unforgiveness. Has this happened to you? Is there a part of you that is dying from what you just can't forgive? For those willing to forgive, Jesus gives instruction on how to do it. He says, from your heart. There goes Jesus again, talking about our hearts. As with most every other instruction that Jesus gives, This action is to be from the center of one's emotion and soul, from the very heart. This is the place God sees and most thoroughly evaluates. You can fool your brother or sister by what you say or what you do or what you think, keeping your heart all to yourself, but you can't hide your heart from God. You can't fool God. You may go through life thinking that you are, But God knows what's there. 
God wants your heart to be healthy and life-giving. And he clarifies through Jesus the reality that what makes the most difference in your relationship with God, as well as with your brothers and sisters, is what comes from your heart. Jesus wanted his followers to know that people who have taken to heart God's forgiveness of them ought to be the ones who have the greatest display of it to other people. Do you remember when the Pope was shot and he went to prison to visit his shooter? Do you remember the message that gave out to the world about what forgiveness is all about? He didn't let him out of jail. They didn't release him from his sentence. No, he had to deal with the consequences of his sins. But he was forgiven. And we need to give that as a display as well. That people could look at us and go, wow, there is something to this Christian faith. These are people who are willing to forgive one another. C.S. Lewis states it this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. How can you not forgive someone when God has forgiven you? Not doing so makes you like the servant whose mountain of debt was forgiven, but who cannot forgive other people for their molehill of indebtedness. Well, there are many other FAQs that we can consider on this topic this morning. But as with most FAQs and those lists you see on the computers, uh, I mean on the Internet, I sounded pretty old right there, didn't I? On, on the Internet. The answers aren't intended to extensively answer our questions. In fact, they rarely even get at the hearts of our questions, but they lead us to another place where we can learn more. They serve as an acknowledgement that lots of people are asking them. What we really need to do is dig deeper with our topic here at hand, which God invites us to and facilitates us to do with Jesus. This is what happened with Peter and his frequently asked question. He got his answer, but it was not until he entered the deeper experience of the answer that he truly got it when we see him sitting by the morning campfire where Jesus is cooking breakfast for him, receiving full forgiveness and full reinstatement after three horrible betrayals of Jesus, we see him getting the full answer to his question. And that's where we'll find the answer to our greatest questions about forgiveness as well as we encounter them in depth with Jesus. Let us pray.